command in Exodus and then two verses in in the New Testament. And I'm actually going to read from the teleprompter here. So this is God's word to you today. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Matthew 5, 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence before we jump into the text. And so uh, would you pray with me that God would reveal uh, to us maybe some ways in which we can be more honest, be more truthful to our neighbor and to ourselves through the gospel. And so let's uh, let's spend some moments in silence and pray. Father, you are the God of all truth, and you don't shift or change, but you're the same for all eternity, and we are your image in this world, and you call us to uh, speak in such a way that honors our neighbor, that upholds their dignity, that protects at times, that defends at times, and so, Lord, we we desperately need that. Uh, We need it in, in every age. We also need it in our age, because we... We just struggle so much with lying, we struggle with slandering, we struggle with thinking the worst of people that differ from us, and uh, you call us back to how we are to relate to one another, especially within the household of of faith, and I do ask that uh, we would be aware that uh, there's all sorts of people from different uh, perspectives in, in this very room. And and so that we would uh, hear from you, whether it's the first time that we're kind of thinking about Christianity or the thousandth and that you would teach us in Christ's name. Amen. So I especially in commandments five through nine, the more the more you sit with them, the more uh, it seems kind of like an iceberg. They just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And you realize it's depth. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a professor. and I think he was quoting a theologian when he said, the, the Bible is kind of like the ocean in that uh, an ant and an elephant can swim in it and never plummet its depths. And the more, you know, some of the commandments are only like two words in Hebrew, two or three words. And 
And like the more you sit with them, the more you see, oh my goodness, like this affects sort of every area of my life. And this one does that too. This, this command to not bear false witness about your neighbor, your neighbor is basically anybody that you come into contact with in this world, um, to not bear false witness about your neighbor has, has richness beyond what you initially think on first glance. Um, and that's what we're going to look at uh, today. We're going to talk about uh, the fact that this command shows us the destruction of deception, destroys individuals, destroys communities. And then we're also going to talk about the, the healing of truth and how when truth comes to light in your life or in the life of a community, things, things get better. Uh, it's almost like you can breathe again. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about. What does it mean uh, to deceive? Why do we deceive? And how can I be truthful? So those are the three points. What does it mean to deceive? So the language here in the actual text in Exodus is the, that of a courtroom. So like in the ancient Near East, this was like legal document covenant language. And there was a code of honesty that had to be maintained in order for the system of justice to work. And so that's part of what's being described here. Uh, in our in our text in Exodus. So like in the movie, if you've ever seen the movie 12 Angry Men, anybody ever seen this? So there's there's one there's one guy on the jury, you know, he's very, very concerned about the truth and he doesn't just want to get out of there quickly because he's lazy, but he's with the person convicted. He, he asks all sorts of good questions and investigates and and honors even even the person who's convicted of a crime because that person is worthy of the truth. And so he goes after the truth. Now, that would be a very specific and like literal example of how this commandment is upheld. But the surface level of this command is not quite as blatant as the others. Like you shall not kill, you, you shall not commit adultery. And the reason why is because it has to do with how we use words and how we present ourselves, particularly to our neighbor in relation to our neighbor. So how you speak in relationship to the people that you are involved with is what this command underneath the surface is talking about. And Martin Luther, back in Germany, uh, he breaks up lying, deceiving into three categories. And he says that there are humorous lies, like jokes and stuff like that. Um, there are helpful lies, like in the case of Rahab in the book of Joshua. She was the prostitute that hid the spies. That's a helpful lie. And then he says that there are also harmful lies. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, we're going to focus in on the harmful lies that we tell ourselves and that we tell each other um, and go deep within, within that. So outright lying without the protection of your neighbor in mind is something that this command forbids. Like if you don't know something that's true about somebody and, and you say it, or you pretend like it's true, that would be a breach of this command, be a form of breaking the ninth commandment. When you say something about someone um, that you kind of think is true, but you don't quite know, that would be a form of breaking this command. When you lie about situations that you were in, or you have selective memory about the past, and you're unwilling to face maybe something that you said or something that you did in the past because it, it's, it was hard or it was bad, that's a form of breaking this command. One, one of the things that 
the scriptures teach about us is that we are, we are the stories that we tell ourselves. One of my uh, favorite singer songwriters says that um, memory records selected shores and then plays them back as gospel fact. That's how I remember is what he says. And we do that as individuals. We do that as whole cultures and countries, especially about the, the things in our past that are hard to face. Uh, the, the lies that we tell ourselves uh, shape who we are in the current moment. Now, that's the surface of this command. And those are pretty obvious. But what I want to what I want to focus in on is the more subtle ways that we lie. And the more subtle ways that we deceive. And this is where it can get extremely tricky. Um, we often tell ourselves lies in order to avoid being uncomfortable or inconvenienced or to avoid being in pain. Now, I want to I, I listen to many. Um, one pastor that I listen to, his name is Michael Keller, uh, was very helpful here, but also a, a theologian and therapist named Diane Landberg. She said, have you ever been uh, out in public and you saw someone that you knew, but you didn't want to talk to him? And so you averted your gaze and you went the other way. And this, let's say it's like a grocery store and later you walk down the aisle and, the, and then like you run into them and there's no way to avoid it. And she's like, what, what do you do? You're like you act surprised, right? You're like, oh, hey, you know, um, she says that, that that's a form of deceit. That's a form of lying because it's simply uncomfortable. Right. And like we're all we're all guilty of that. Right. Um, we also lie because we don't want to be inconvenienced. And so your mom tells you to clean your room. Right. And what do you tell her? Like, yeah, one second. And you have no plans on cleaning your room. Right. Um, or your friend says, well, hey, when, when are you coming? And you're like, I'm on my way. But you literally haven't left your house or your apartment. Right. You lie in that situation because it's just inconvenient to tell the truth. But the third and this is where I would like us to, to think for a while is that we lie to tell ourselves um, why it's okay to avoid pain, why it's okay to go the other way uh, from suffering. And this is where, if we're not careful, we, we really can become masters at self-deception to our own detriment. Let's say, for instance, let's say you've been hurt very badly in the past. And you say, you know, it's in the past. Like, I've dealt with that. I've forgiven them, or you just pretend like what they've done hasn't really affected you, when in reality, you still know that the immense scars that have happened to you in the past show up everywhere in your current life, in the present. And what tends to happen is that when we don't go back and own the fact that we have had pain in the past, we lie to ourselves and we lie to other people because it's just less risky, we think, in the moment than, than actually coming clean with the truth. This happens all the time with victims of abuse. You know, you say, no one would believe me. No one's actually going to take the time to listen. Or maybe I'm remembering it wrong. That happens all the time. And sometimes the mode of operating becomes so entrenched in your normal life that you really wouldn't know how to properly function if like you actually spoke the truth. You know, like what would you do with the shame? How would people perceive you if they knew the actual honest truth about you and what happened? 
And what, what ends up happening is that you begin to tell yourself, like, I just don't want to burden people. Like, I, I'm going to tell everybody I'm doing fine. And, and you know, like, I'll, I'll busy myself. You know, that's a big one for us. We'll busy ourselves so we don't have to actually get into the reality of our stories and the reality of the truth of, of what's happened. Um, and what, what that forms in our lives is that we, we begin to subtly live a lie, being controlled by the pain of the truth of what's happened to avoid uh, the places we need to, to take an honest look at. Now, the problem is that we were made for healing. And the human heart and soul and body will find comfort in whatever way possible just to survive. And the Bible is accurate when it says this is how we deceive ourselves, that the heart is really, really, really sick and deceptive. And everyone in this room, we run to something or someone that our inner selves can find comfort and peace to help us cope with the reality of the truth. Now, if that thing isn't God that we run to, then we have broken both the first and the ninth commandment, and it becomes very hard for us to be honest and say, you know, I really, I really am looking out more for myself than my neighbor, and I'll lie to keep that order in place if I have to. When we were made to actually move towards our neighbor and think about them before we think about ourselves. This is the deception of, of lying. And we all do this. And the assumption, this is the beautiful part about the church. And this is what we have to be. This is a part of the great commission. The beautiful part about the church is that the reason why we confess sins, the reason why we say collectively as the people of God, we all struggle with self-deception. We all struggle with deceiving each other. When an environment like that is coupled with grace and kindness, we actually can become truth tellers moving in a manner of love in the world, which actually is beneficial to communities on the whole. This is how when we own the fact that we are deceptive, and we couple it with the gospel, and we couple it with the fact that Jesus died for sinners, we can actually begin to speak the truth. We can actually begin to not bear false witness against our neighbor. Loving your neighbor, this is how it works. And this is so hard. <laughs> Loving your neighbor is speaking very difficult things in such a way that they have the possibility of hearing the truth. If you just say it without thought of how it's coming across or without thought to the other person, that's not loving. That's a form of bearing false witness that you're not thinking about your neighbor, which means that the church has to be the place where like like canceling each other out. Y'all is like not allowed. Like if Jesus died for sinners, like you don't cancel people out. You don't ghost your friends because they have different views from you. But this command is also teaching us to say, look, since I love you, since I think that you have a soul that's eternal, that like I affect in some way because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Well, I'm going to say these things to you that I think that you need to be aware of. In the wisest way that I can, because I love you. 
in, a, in an environment where people don't love you, they just don't speak. They don't engage or they just get angry and just spew out at you. If you never say hard things to people when you know you should, it's a form of bearing false witness to your neighbor and pretending like everything's fine when it isn't. And then that person goes out into the community and hurts other people and no one's loving enough to actually say it in a kind and gentle way. We have to be countercultural in this way. It's one of the best forms of evangelism right now. I think our world and, and church culture right now says at the end of the day, no one's going to tell me how to think. No one's going to tell me what to do with my time, with my speech, with my weapons, with my rights, with my views, because I'm a confident person with like really solid convictions. Now, just think about that. That's not the demeanor of a redeemed, broken person that struggles with self-deception, which is clearly what the Bible teaches about us. Clearly. And if that's true, at the very least, we have to open ourselves up to being challenged at times of opposing voices. And the church can be a great place to do that if we have grace and kindness for one another. That those who differ from one another can sit down and say, and I've seen this happen in our church. They so can sit down with one another and say, like, hey, I really, I, help me understand where you're coming from. Like, I don't know. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how you came to that conclusion. Not to like get back at them, but to like really understand, to be curious. Like we can do that because the blood of Christ covers us. <laughs> That's the truth. You know, some of us are like, I, I really want close community. I feel so disconnected from people. But maybe, maybe the reason why you feel disconnected from people is that when, when somebody actually speaks into your life, you're like, get out. You can't speak to me. Now, here's what I believe. And by the way, like y'all need to know, like when the Holy Spirit is saying like he's talking about me, you know, through a sermon, I promise you I'm talking about my own junk. OK, God has called me to preach to my heart first. I'm the worst at self-deception in the room. I'm convinced of it. Here's what I believe this command is asking us to do. Admit that we struggle with self-deception, deceiving ourselves, deceiving one another, acting selfishly so that we don't bear false witness against our neighbor. That sometimes we are afraid to tell the truth to others because it would cause them to see us differently. Or worse, that, that you let somebody in and they just simply don't care. The church has to be a place where people care enough to listen and to speak. Because when that happens, it actually changes people. It really does. I met a girl, a woman, um, last week named Yelene. Yelene was born in Malaysia. Then she moved to Hong Kong, became a Christian in China. And then she moved to Singapore. And then she moved to New York, met her husband there, moved back to Singapore, and then back to New York. And I was like, gosh, Yelene, like, so like, where is home? 
And she said, you know, I'm not too sure because everywhere, I love how she put this. She's like, everywhere I go, it's like people are either circles or squares and I'm like a hexagon. Like I, I never quite fit anywhere. And she said, that's actually the reason why I became a Christian. Because when I went to church in Hong Kong, I saw all these different people from different cultures and different countries. And she was like, it was like the first time I ever felt like, oh, like these are my people because everyone's different, just like me. And she, she actually did say, you know, just the other day, she lives in Queens. She's like, I had a taco at an Indonesian food truck in Queens down the road from my apartment. And I did feel at home there when I was eating that taco. I was like, that's awesome. Um, but internally, y'all, when she was like describing her story, I was like, something about how you are just telling the truth is allowing me to want to open up myself and to be honest about who I am or who I'm not. Now, why is that? It's because if we don't know really who we are, we can't fully and truthfully engage with the other. That's why it's important for you to know your story, to, to know the particular ways in which you've been self-deceived. And when we pretend to be anything other than what we are and our own story that God has given us graciously, then what we, what we do is we operate out of a sense of shame and hiding and then we rob people of the true us by pretending to be something that we're not. That's what was so lovely about, about her because she's just, she's just like, yeah, this is, I don't really know who I am. I don't know where I'm from. Which means that, you know, when, when we struggle with deception, what, what's motivating that is, is fear. And so that's the second point. Why do we de- deceive? Why do we lie? Um, one, of the, one of the foundational things about how you relate to another person is that, you know, you can't love somebody that you're afraid of do you know that? Um, per, that's why it says perfect love casts out fear. Another friend of mine told me uh, that his father used to work in a business that was heavily dependent on the market, stock market. And so he knew whether to come out of his room or not based upon when he was a little boy, based upon how the door shut and his dad got home from work. And he knew whether it was safe to to come out or not. And so he learned as a little boy to watch the market so he could try to predict his dad's behavior when he got home from work. And, you know, you know how helpful that is to realize as an adult that that's what shaped and formed you as as a as a little child. And, And the reason why is because my friend's true self isn't meant to live in fear of an unpredictable world. So how do we undo our deception? Well, we have to go back to when we first started being afraid. Um, This is where the the ninth uh, commandment, larger catechism is so helpful. This is one of the things that it tells us to do. It says, what does it it forbid? (laughs) It forbids concealing the truth or undue silence in a just cause. It also forbids flattery or thinking too highly of oneself or too meanly of oneself and the other. Now, 
Um, I come from a culture that likes to exaggerate reality. You know, we saw, like we see a cup of tea on the counter, and you're like, you know what that tea needs? Like a half a cup of sugar, you know? And swirl it around. Um, and it's because in Southern culture, we fear being bland or boring. Okay? And so we tend to exaggerate the truth. Um, here in the Midwest, this is the tendency. We tend towards reservation. So Stu Kearns told me a parable once about a Swede. And he said, there once was a Swede who loved his wife so much that he almost told her. (laughs) Now, uh, neither culture is better or worse. But both cultures are driven by fear and it expresses itself in how we communicate to our neighbor. Okay, this is why this is so very important. So Southern culture tends to be afraid of being bland or boring. Midwest culture tends to be afraid of being wrong or misrepresented. And the reason why this is important to understand is that if we don't know our fears, we will continue to either give too much or too little of the truth to our neighbor. We'll either speak too much or not speak enough. But we are to speak the truth to our neighbors because this is what's best for them and best for us and for our community. So how do we do this? Well, Jesus said, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Like somebody like me needs to hear that. Um, Paul said in Ephesians, you actually need to speak when something is in your heart, uh, when you know it's for the benefit of your neighbor. Speak when you know you should. Now, here's where I want to focus in on uh, John. If you actually want to turn to John 8, starting in verses 39 through 45, (laughs) this is an intense passage. And I'm reading it because uh, there have been some intense things that have happened over the past month in our world. And I want to show you how it's tied to to this command. So Jesus is saying uh, to the Pharisees, starting in chapter 8, verse 39, He said, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham and what he did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, You would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Now, look, this is when the truth of Scripture begins to hit your own heart. It's when you read passages like this and you say, oh, yeah, I know people like that. Not that not that response. It's when you begin to say what what makes God my father and not the devil? 
The step towards truth is listening to a passage like that and letting it pierce your own heart instead of thinking, I know self-righteous people like the Pharisees. The Bible is doing its work when you stop thinking, well, so-and-so really needs to hear this, and you start thinking, I'm the one that needs to hear this. I'm the one. And when you get to that point, you're beginning to see the process of how truth works in the heart of a human being. I mean, just imagine, just for a moment, if we all started from that premise that if God had not changed me and saved me from myself, my father would be the devil. Now, we are, I know we're modern and I know that we're Western and we don't like to talk like that. And yet think about this world. Think about it like we see schools and stores and churches shot up every year, every week, it seems. We see we see people just by the color of their skin being killed and we yell at those who are called to protect us. And they're also broken individuals, too, just trying to figure it out. And we wring our hands and we wonder why the world is so broken and we offer easy solutions to very complex issues and we blame each other just to find relief when it makes a lot more sense, y'all, to me that what if there's a masterful genius behind this whole thing? That gets us to deceive ourselves, to deceive each other so that we get angry, keep them confused and angry, hating one another for, for the purpose. This is this is the purpose to drive them into death so that we get numb to death so that we don't think it's that big of a deal so that maybe even some of us give ourselves to death. That makes a lot more sense to me. Like if you struggle with thinking that there's a spiritual realm and that it's real, then I mean, just answer the question. Like, why can't we stop killing each other on every level? It's the devil. The father of lies. And God is the God of truth and life. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world to say, this is reality. This is the brokenness of the world. And he gives his son over to being falsely accused. The very commandment that's broken here, you know, like this is what Jesus endured. And the beginning of being a truthful person is is growing more and more and more and more into dependence of what he's done. Which allows you to be skeptical. It allows you to be skeptical of your own feelings. And initial reactions to things. The scriptures are very clear. You don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding, but you fear the Lord. And when you begin to take ownership and responsibility of your own emotions, and sometimes y'all, like especially at the church, we can own things that are like wrong generally in our culture. (laughs) It's called repentance. Because we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to try to like cling to power. And as with any healthy culture, you must put yourself in a community of people that will speak into your life in a way that's not always comfortable, but they say it with gentleness and truth and love. They're not angry when they speak to you. Y'all, you can't be angry when you confront one another. And this is hard. Because you have to meditate on the other person. 
you have to think about, okay, if I say it this way, they're not going to hear it. If I don't say it this way, that's not loving. And you have to mull it over and you have to pray. And it requires so much time and it requires you to put yourself in the lives of people that are not going to let you live a lie based upon God's word. And they want you to become more honest. And so when they ask you questions, they're not like trying to get you. They're like, no, this is not who you really are. You're a person of truth. Now, look, uh, I'm going to wrap up here because we've already gone a little too long. Um, But, you know, Dan Dan Allender, I've used this before, and it's just so helpful. He says every every person comes into the world asking the two questions. Am I loved and can I get my own way? And he said throughout the course of your life, you continue to ask that question. And what the devil does is that he reverses those two things in your life. And he says, no, you're not loved. And yes, you can get your own way. And that's the lie that we have to continue to fight against over the course of our lives, even when we're little and into adulthood. And for some of us, uh, knowing that we're loved and that we can't get our own way means that you need to involve yourself more in the life of other people. And for some of us, it means that you don't have to speak into every situation that you see and that you hear that's like wrong. But think, what does it mean to not bear false witness against my neighbor for the sake of them? And what will what will give you the power and honesty to do that is if you meditate on what Jesus has done, that he was falsely accused in a court. And Pilate knew this so much so that he didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus' death, but his hand was forced. And why God allowed that to, to happen is the purpose for why you are to live your life honestly. The purpose of your life is for you to know that God loves you and that you can't get your own way. Because when I get my own way and I don't believe his love for me, I end up living a lie. And that's not who I really am. This is who you are. You are to move out into the lives of other people and you say, you first. My life for yours, not your life for mine. That's my true self. That I move into the life of other people and I say, I don't belong to me. And so therefore I don't have to constantly live the lie of like trying to be enough or being self-protective. Now, sometimes that looks like confronting your neighbors because of love. Sometimes that looks like standing up for your neighbors when no one else will. And sometimes it means not speaking lies about your neighbor when everyone else around you is entrenched in falsehood. But meditating and allowing Jesus to show you the path of truth, it really does lead to life, at least to healing and the restoration of communities. Y'all, we need we need the gospel. We do. Of course, we have failed at this. That's why Jesus came. Um, But we need to be truthful to one another for the sake of our community and for the sake of ourselves. It's better. So let's pray. Let's ask God um, to heal us because that actually is available. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. And we ask that we would not bear false witness against our neighbors and that we would seek in every way possible to uphold the honor and dignity of all people that we come into contact with. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to know how to let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. Help us to know 
when to speak for the sake of the other. And um, I thank you so much for all the brothers and sisters in this room, even as I think about Steve Allen and, and he's going to come up here and help us with confession, but just how rooted in his own story he is, how much he's helped me know myself and know how to speak and support